Good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope you've been having a great service so far. Uh, I trust that, you know, God is going to speak to us this morning. But the cool thing is, as I've looked at the pandemic and how things have gone, one of the things that stands out to me is how God has brought us even closer as a fellowship throughout the world. You know, we've been able to have brothers and sisters join us in our services, visiting, but even preaching and sharing the gospel with us as well too. And this morning is no different of a morning because we're going to be hearing from our brother Gregory Bohr this morning from Kingston, Jamaica. You know, Gregory uh, is a great friend of mine, uh, partner in the gospel, you know, and um, it's he's just a very, very humble guy, but very wise. And um, I trust that, you know, his wisdom and his experience as a minister for over 25 years, I think it is now, you know, is going to come right through the screen to you this morning. So open wide your hearts, brothers and sisters, and allow God's word to speak to you as we listen to our brother Gregory Bohr this morning as he delivers God's word. So without further ado, I give you Gregory Bohr. Good morning, brothers and sisters and friends in the Ports of Spain Church of Christ. Thanks so much for having me this morning to do your sermon. I will be speaking this morning about Samuel. I understand that you guys have been doing a series on characters of the Bible, and it really has been a privilege to be able to research and deliver this lesson today. I hope that by the end of the lesson, you will receive certain tips that will help you to have effective prayers. Let me thank Naninia and Merlin for inviting me to share in this moment with you. Of course, you know that the Port of Spain Church of Christ is very dear to the church in Jamaica. The church here planted the church in Port of Spain many years ago, and it always gives us delight to hear about the work that you're doing in the Eastern Caribbean and around the world. Quite frankly, you guys are having a, a real impact. Uh, you know, I have visited Tobago as well, and it reminded me of where I grew up in Montego Bay, Jamaica. So Trinidad and Tobago are very special to me and to my wife, Simone. This morning, as we look at Samuel, we're going to see that this man was a man who prayed, who knew not only how to talk to God, though, but how to listen to God. So. As you look in, as you read about Samuel, you'll realize that his life can be segmented into certain events. Now, we won't cover all events. I'll just mention some key ones throughout his life. And, you know, his birth resulted from a vow. We'll look at that in greater detail. He had visions as a child. He was judge of Israel, and that was like an overseer. He established the monarchy where Israel was going to be ruled by a king. And he did it, even though he didn't like the idea at first, he had a peaceful transition from being judged to handing over to King Saul. And many of our government officials and our world leaders can learn a thing or two from him about handing power over when the time comes due. Uh, we can learn about the rejection of Saul as king and just how Samuel responded to that, the anointing of David as king. And, uh, you know, he had to protect David from Saul. Saul was out to kill David to make sure that the kingship, the monarchy stayed in his family. And Samuel had to protect David at some point. 
And finally, we're able to see that even after Samuel had died, that Saul had used a witch, used sorcery to be able to raise his spirit from the grave, to be able to seek advice from him as to what to do. Well, the news wasn't good. Saul was going to die in the upcoming battle and he didn't take it very well. But the lesson we can learn from that is that we really need to understand that our souls exist even after our bodies are dead. So that is really uh, urging for those who are not yet Christians to understand, yes, there is going to come a time that you will depart from this life, but you will continue to exist. And at that point, you want to make sure that, well, it would be too late, but hopefully before you would have given yourself over to Christ, you would have been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'd be living the life of a disciple. We'll begin by looking at Samuel's birth. The point that I want to make from this is that we need to have surrendered prayer. We need to pray in a surrendered way to God. All right. Samuel's mother, Hannah, had been one of two wives of his father. And the older, the other wife had children, but Hannah was barren. The other wife, Penaniah, she had teased Hannah consistently and just relentlessly about the fact that she didn't have children. And even though Samuel's father, Elkanah, had loved Hannah, there was nothing that he could say that could console her. And one day when she had gone to, when they had gone to make a sacrifice and to pray, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9, Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. So we see that Hannah was barren and she was in deep anguish and deep distress. She prayed to God and God heard her prayer and granted her request. But what was it about this prayer that made her heard by God? What is it that Hannah said? What was it about her heart and her spirit? that made her heard by God. Perhaps we can learn a thing or two about praying 
when we are able to learn from others who have had effective prayers. There's a man by the name of George Mueller who I believe that if we learn the details about his life, that we will learn just what made Hannah's prayer effective. George Mueller was a man who lived in the 1800s and he wrote a book called 50,000 Answered Prayers. 50,000 Answered Prayers. In it, he detailed 50,000 times God had granted what he had asked of him. And he also wrote how he prayed to give us insight as to how to pray to God. He was a preacher. Uh, he was a minister of God's word. But I believe what he is most known for is the fact that he started an orphanage with nothing. It was a time that orphans were rampant by the thousands on the streets in the gutters in England. And it was a result of the fact that many parents had died from tuberculosis and other illnesses that they did not uh, properly treat or have the cure for at that time. So there were many orphans. They lived and died in the gutters. Many saw them as pests. They would survive by begging or even stealing. The time of this, this period really was the time that the book Oliver Twist was written as well. So if you have read the book Oliver Twist, you understand that children were stealing for a living. That is how they survived. And George Mueller wanted to do something about this, particularly for God's honor, because many were saying, where is God in the midst of this suffering? So he decided he was going to start an orphanage, but he was not going to ask for any money from anyone, that he was only going to pray to God. Yet, in the course of time, over his life, he was able to receive one and a half million pounds. In today's equivalent, it would be a hundred million pounds. That is significant. What was he able to do and accomplish with this money? Well, he personally took care of over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. He was able to build several orphanages. He established 117 schools which offered Christian education and educated over 120,000 children. In fact, he was accused by some of raising the poor above their natural station in British life. He changed Britain forever. Many times he received unsolicited donations hours before it was needed to do certain things like even feed the children. There was even once when they didn't have any food to eat and they gathered at the table and prayed for the food they were about to receive. Just after they finished praying, the baker came, knocked on the door and said, I woke up early in the morning and just felt I should bake some bread for the children. Right after that, the milkman came to say that his cart broke down right outside and rather than the milk spoil, he was going to donate it to the children. So they had enough food to eat for that morning. He saw many prayers like that answered and he recorded them in the book, 50,000 Answered Prayers. Now, what was the advice that he gave to those who would listen to him? And hopefully we will be listeners as well if we want to have that kind of answers to our prayers. Well, he woke up early each morning to spend time with God. Not only that, but he decided that he was not going to start his ministry, start his day until he was in the right spirit, until he was happy and buoyed in spirit. Sometimes it would take hours. He also prayed by finding a promise of God in the Bible and putting his finger on it 
and he would pray over that promise. So he wouldn't be asking for anything outside of what God had already promised and what was within God's will. He taught that 90% of prayer is basically getting rid of your own will, your own desires, and being open to God's will, being surrendered to doing God's will. Hannah, Samuel's mother, was keenly aware of God's will. He needed men who would dedicate themselves to the service of God, and she made this prayer that I would give my son to you for this purpose. Many prayers go unanswered because of the motive of our prayers. We, we are not surrendered to God. In fact, James wrote in James 4, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Motive is very important in your prayers. I want to take a look at this chart. Here, it will explain to you in a diagram form what I'm talking about. Here we see God's will, a straight line. And then you see our will that oftentimes meanders as our motives change and desires change. At times, our will aligns with God's will and at those times, we will receive answered prayers. But oftentimes, our will doesn't line up with God's will. Oftentimes, our desires are meandering. We have all sorts of motives and we would even perhaps misuse what God gives to us. But for the person who learns to continuously recognize their will, put it to the side, empty themselves of their own personal will and be surrendered to God's will, then they will be on the same trajectory as God and they will have more answered prayers. God is seeking for you to align yourself with his will. In fact, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants us to surrender to his will and he will work with us to advance his kingdom once our prayers are in line with his desire. So we need to learn from this that we need to have surrendered prayers. So the second point that I'd like to make is we need to be open to hearing God's voice, not necessarily audibly, but certainly to be able to identify what his spirit is telling us. Hannah, Samuel's mother, knew that she would not have been able to provide for Samuel the kind of attention and care that another child would have received from their own parents because she was going to hand Samuel over to uh, the service of God and he would not have been able to live with her. And she gave him an incredible gift that perhaps was the best gift that she could have given him. She gave him the name Samuel. The name means name of God or God heard. So Samuel would have had his name as a reminder that God listens to our prayers. He himself would have known that he was a product of God hearing, that he didn't come about by accident, that he came about by God's deliberate intervention to bring him into this world. So from his name, Samuel would know that you could call on God at any time. And it was taken to a new level when he started having visions and he started having real interactions with the Lord when he was a child. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says in verse 1, 
The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am, and he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel. I will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. What does this reveal about God? God knows the future. Not only does he know the future, he also orchestrates the future. And it would be good if each of us would decide that we're going to walk in his paths because the end result is going to be that God will always win. There's no plan of God that can be thwarted. And we need to therefore make sure that we are surrendered to God and that we're listening to his voice and that we are doing his will. Now, I know that there are many people who get very insecure about this judgment, especially parents. Parents tend to read this and feel like, oh, God is going to hold every parent accountable for their children's waywardness. You know, it is certainly heartbreaking when children do not decide that they are going to follow in the path of their parents who are faithful to the Lord. But it is not the parents' fault in most instances. In fact, if you read in 1 Samuel 8 verse 1 to 7, you see that Samuel's sons also, even though they had an exemplar father, 
did not walk in the way of the Lord, certainly not in an exemplary way. It says in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 8, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. and The Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. There's a lot that is going on here, but I don't have time to get into all aspects of what we're reading. Just to let you see here that Samuel was not held responsible for his children. What happened with Eli is that he knew that his sons were blaspheming and he did not do enough to restrain them. We can only do so much and no more when we're parenting our kids. We can try to teach them the fear of the Lord. We can model it for them, but everybody has to make their own choice. But to the younger generation, I want to be able to say this, that the choices that you make will have a lasting impact on your eternity. You can't blame your parents for the mistakes and the choices that you make. Yeah, they may not be perfect, but you have to stand before God on Judgment Day. They are not responsible for your sin and for your mistakes. You could have the most faithful parents, as Joel and Abijah did in Samuel, but you still might take the wrong path. Or you might not even have had your parents around, as Samuel did, but yet you could make the right choices and the faithful choices like Samuel. Your parents will not determine your spiritual choices. When you stand before God, your parents will not be there with you. You'll be standing there by yourself being judged for the things that you did and the choices that you made in this life. Now, the next point that I want to make is that we need to fight our battle on our knees. As Samuel grew, he learned that he needed to continually pray. When he became leader of Israel, they had some battles to fight. He was priest, but he also was in charge of Israel. And it says in 1 Samuel 7, verse 1, When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were all afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them in such a panic 
that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. So the Israelites fought this battle once against the Philistines and won because God also fought with them. That there was thunder, loud thunder that came against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. Where was Samuel? Samuel was not in the battle with a sword in hand. He was back at home at Mizpah making sacrifices and praying to the Lord. Not every battle is won by the sword. In fact, if you have an army, mighty army, and everybody has their swords in, in their hands and no one is praying, then chances are they're going to lose that battle. You know, it says in Psalm 147, His pleasure, God's pleasure, is not in the strength of the horse, nor is delight in the legs of a warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So, someone might say, we need every hand in battle. We need every hand on deck. We need every hand having a sword in it. But if you have everyone fighting the battle physically and nobody fighting the battle spiritually, then you will lose. The best thing that a leader of God's people can do is to pray for them. That is the best way that you can fight the battles for your people. As a leader, I realize that I need to spend a lot more time in prayer. And that is what I'm committing myself to do as I've studied this, to spend much more time on my knees, especially praying for the people that I lead. The fourth and final point I want to make from Samuel's life is that we need to be learners. Samuel was always learning, always listening to God, always open to be corrected. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, after Saul had, a lot had happened. I, you know, Saul had become king. God rejected Saul as king and wanted Samuel now to anoint David as king. But Samuel didn't know exactly who he was going to anoint. He only knew it was the son of Jesse. And this is how that count goes in 1 Samuel 16 verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethel, 
The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and he had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shammah passed by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So we see here that even though Samuel had been a judge, traveling from place to place and town to town and judging Israel, he still had a paradigm that would have caused him to have anointed the wrong person. He looked at Eliab and he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed because he was looking at his height and his stature. And he thought, well, you know, if God is going to anoint a king, it must be somebody who can fight battles. But God says, no, I don't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. This was a great lesson for Samuel. Samuel needed to listen to God and he was open to being corrected. How many people are open to being corrected? The world pays so much attention to looks. They place such a high emphasis on what people look like. In fact, the beauty and personal care industry is valued over 435 billion US dollars annually. That is how much money people spend on their looks. Young people these days take pictures and post it on social media apps like Instagram and hope to get as many likes as possible. And when one photo doesn't get that many likes, they try to get more on the next photo. And unfortunately, they do certain things to compromise on their character, the thing that God really cares about. David was someone who didn't care what people thought. He cared more about God's love rather than people's likes. It is so important for young people to really get this heart, to develop this heart of caring what God thinks. God took note of David, even though David was out in the fields, that he heard David's voice, the songs that he wrote to God, the that he wrote music to God, played the harp, and he sang songs to God. And yes, people did hear, and David had a reputation of having a fine voice, but God saw his heart. Where is your heart today? For those who are older, there are many sayings about older people not being able to learn new things. And that is so wrong. That, that may be, you know, something that um, somebody came up with because it really is hard to learn a new way. Children are more uh, able to learn a foreign language because their minds are just set 
for absorbing new information. So I, I understand that paradigm. But when it comes to learning the things of God, the Spirit of God opens us up to, to listening to God. And I want to encourage you, no matter what age you are, the scripture tells us that we need to become like children to enter the kingdom of God. Develop a childlike heart to listen to God and to be able to be corrected by him. Don't go by the paradigms that have been set. Be like Samuel, that even though he had certain paradigms, he could leave those paradigms behind and he could be open to God's direction. When he did that, he anointed the right person king. He could ask a right question. Do you have any other sons? What questions do you need to ask today? There are some questions that need to be asked. What must I do to be saved? Or what does a word say to somebody like me? Or how can I repent before the Lord? What are some things that you would do if you were in my situation? There are some of you who are studying the Bible and you need to ask those questions. And I want to encourage you to be like Samuel and to be like a child open to God's direction. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, we have looked today at a man who wore many hats. He was a seal, he was a prophet, he was a judge. He was an anointer of kings. He did so many things in his life. We haven't even covered everything, but the few things that we have covered today, you can see that this man was a man who listened to God. His name meant God heard. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you that God hears your prayers. But we need to, if we're going to have effective prayers, then we need to pray in a surrendered way. Pray surrendered like what Hannah did for Samuel to be brought into this world. Be open to God's will, to his voice. Listen to his spirit. Listen to his word. Fight your battles on your knees. Make sure that you are not just taking up the sword or the phone or whatever tools there are around you to get the job done. Make sure that you're fighting your battles on your knees. And finally, be a learner. Be like Samuel, who was open to God's direction. Hopefully, there's something that I've shared today that will help you to be prayer warriors and that you will start having even more effective prayers. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight to share this lesson with you. May God be with you.